0: Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
1: Coming up on Money Beat this weekend, the faithful will once again descend upon Omaha, Nebraska, to hear from the oracle himself, Warren Buffett, who will hold forth at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting, our reporter Nicole Friedman is in Omaha, and she is here with a report. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. They call it Woodstock for capitalists. The annual shareholder meeting of Berkshire Hathaway takes place this weekend in Omaha, Nebraska, of course, we're going to be covering it, and right now on the Money Beat Show, we're going to be previewing it. Hello, everybody. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser here in the studio with uh, Money Beat editor Eric Holm, who covered Berkshire for quite a while. Too long, too. Well, no, it's, uh, I
0: enjoyed every minute. Of it, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and
1: and joining us on the phone from the nation's heartland, our Berkshire reporter Nicole Friedman. Nicole, how are you? You finally got there, right?
2: I did, and it's actually beautiful weather, so it's nice to be here.
1: All right, good. So let's let's jump right in, uh, Nicole. We're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna shoot you a lot of questions, and and you can just kind of riff on it. How about that? We'll do it that way. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So uh, Eric Holm, who covered Berkshire for quite a while, uh, wh- wh- what do you wanna what do you wanna ask Nicole? Well, uh,
3: how many Berkshire meetings have you actually attended slash covered slash live blogged?
0: I think I've been to. N- in In person, eight of these things. and then last year, I stayed in the office and and we sent our colleague Prida to Omaha. and And so we watched that one in New York via webcast because that was the first time they've ever done that. But it's crazy. even though you can watch it on the webcast now, still tens of thousands of people, Omaha, uh, uh, Nicole, you'd know this better than me. tens of thousands of people still this year expected.
2: Yeah, I talked to Warren Buffett this week, last week, and he said they expect this to be the second highest attendance ever. So the record high attendance was two years ago at the 50th anniversary, which obviously a big anniversary draws a big crowd. And then last year it fell off slightly and people weren't sure because of the live streaming if more and more people would choose to stay home every year. But it's up this year from last year, at least based on the early indications of how many people expected to arrive. So it could be a pretty crowded venue, about 40,000 or more people are expected to be there on Saturday. Wow.
0: And that means there's a mad dash for the seats, as uh, Nicole has um, artfully written about in a story that you can find online um, already. Uh, but um, it's a crazy scene, a crazy
3: scene. Yeah, how, how early do you have to get there to get a seat?
2: I talked to people who camped out overnight. I talked to people who try to get there by three thirty or four AM. I think the general consensus is if you get there after five AM, you're screwed in terms of getting a really excellent seat where you can kind of see Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's faces and you don't have to watch them on, you know, kind of a big screen from high up in the arena. So if you're a true devotee and it's important to you to to be as close as possible, then 5 a.m. is really your cutoff for the Saturday morning line.
1: And, and this, this, this is at an arena that seats 18,000,
0: right? And
1: there's yeah, overflow rooms.
0: There's overflow rooms both at the, um, in the arena and across the street at the Hilton where, Nicole, I believe you're staying, uh, to, to accommodate all these people, including uh, thousands of people from China who go to a room where they have a simultaneous translation. It's a crazy scene. It's a crazy <laughs> scene. Well, well let's, can we ask Nicole to just kind of, what do you see, you, you, you have landed, you've checked in, you
1: know, like, Nicole, what are you seeing there?
2: Yeah, the the hotel is already kind of hopping, lots of people walking around, they already have their uh, badges and their bracelets, and so people are already checking in. I think basically everybody on my flight from St. Louis to Omaha I'm pretty sure, was attending the meeting. There were a couple of business suits and lots of people reading the Wall Street Journal on the airplane, which is always good to see. Yes, yes, um, it is. So, yeah, it's already, you know, people are flooding into town. There are some events today and tomorrow kind of around the themes of Berkshire attendees, value investing. And then tomorrow the arena opens for shoppers, and so anyone who wants to go get there these candies and Fruit of Loom clothing and various Berkshire memorabilia can go on Friday to shop to maybe avoid some of the Saturday crowds.
3: So I I guess what we want to talk to you about is what can, you know, what can people who want to tune into this expect from uh, Berkshire? What are the main topics that are going to be discussed? I guess, you know, Trump Obviously, because of the election and how much Warren Buffett's name came up during the election, during the campaign. Um, Is that going to be front and center?
2: Absolutely. I think a lot of people are expecting there to be a couple of political questions. Uh, Warren Buffett is a longtime Democrat and he campaigned for Hillary Clinton and was somewhat critical of Donald Trump before the election. And then since the election, he's been a little bit quieter, more conciliatory, saying that, you know, everyone should respect Donald Trump and that everyone should want the president to succeed. But I think some people are wondering if he'll be a little bit more outspoken, if he's kind of saving his comments for the annual meeting. And then also there should be some more specific questions on, you know, what do the various proposed policies from the Trump administration mean for Berkshire? So how would it be affected by a lower corporate tax rate or how would it be affected by a change in energy policy things like that? And even if he's not willing to speak too much about the presidency in general, he probably will engage with some of the more detailed questions about his company.
3: And a lot of those policies are good for Berkshire. You saw, i mean, we saw Berkshire's price hit an all-time high um, in the you know the months after the election, largely on yeah, the pro-growth. I mean, it's
2: a very U.S.-focused company. Almost all of its revenues are from the U.S., and it doesn't have a lot of cash overseas, unlike some other companies. And so. It definitely would benefit from a lower corporate tax rate, and it's pretty big in some very heavily regulated industries like railroads and utilities. So any kind of lower regulation, things like that, would probably benefit those businesses.
0: So speaking of a company that has a lot of cash overseas, um, the first the one that you think of is, is Apple. And, of course, Berkshire took a, a big stake in Apple and then really ramped up that bet um, in January, Nicole. And as, as you know, Nicole, I really ate a lot of crow. <laughs> because I said that, we all did. That, that that was not Warren Buffett buying those shares. And initially I was right. But it, uh, tell, wh- what do you think is going to happen uh, around the discussion about Apple at the meeting?
2: Yeah, it was a really interesting revelation in February when he said on CNBC that, in fact, most of that Apple stake was his. A lot of people had assumed that the stake was being purchased by one of his portfolio managers, Ted Weschler or Todd Combs, because Warren Buffett has long avoided technology and just said he doesn't understand it. He sticks to what he understands. He stays within what he calls his circle of competence. Um, But then he said the Apple stake is his. And the reason that he felt comfortable with Apple is because he sees it as a retail company with a very strong brand. And he feels that he can understand that even if he doesn't understand the details of its technology. And he also made some interesting comments though about technology more broadly a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about how, This is really a new investing world, and it's different than what he grew up with, that companies can be worth billions of dollars or even maybe almost a trillion dollars without having very many tangible assets at all. And so I think it's interesting to kind of dig into, hopefully he'll get into this tomorrow, You know, what is his thesis on Apple? Why did he change his mind? And is technology prompting him to change his mind in a bigger way about the way that he invests?
3: One of the companies, uh, you know, in their portfolio, I, that I, <laughs> to be honest, I was surprised when I was going through your list of, which we're going to publish, um, I think tomorrow, your the eight things to watch out there. And one of the ones, one of the companies um, that surprised me was Lubrizol. I had no, I, I just had completely missed this story. I was wondering if you could sort of take us through the bit of the, the sort of drama that's been going on there, and what you know how that might come up at the meeting tomorrow,
2: or Saturday. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if Lubrizol comes up, because it did come up last year. Somebody asked about it. It's one of um, Berkshire's biggest non-insurance businesses. It's a specialty chemicals company. And someone asked last year about Lubrizol, and Warren Buffett said that one of their big acquisitions had been a big mistake, which was kind of a surprise admission, and Lubrizol had recently acquired some big oil-related businesses from Weatherford and Phillips 66, and then a couple months later, it was announced that the Lubrizol CEO was retiring and a new CEO was taking over. And then a couple months after that, it was announced that Lubrizol was shutting down some of its oil-related businesses. And so, unclear, of course, whether the retirement had anything to do with the acquisition. There's, you know, this person was I think 70 years old, and it's very normal to retire at that age but i think there will be some questions about what is the new ceo strategy and what happened at loopers all and what's the track that it's on right now let's uh let's
1: take a break there we'll come back after this message with more from our berkshire reporter nicole friedman who is in omaha nebraska for berkshire's annual shareholder meeting
0: don't you wish your life came with a warning app that dog does not want to be petted. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at prediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its
2: pre-diabetes awareness partners.
1: News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Steven Grosser. Welcome back to MoneyBeat. We were talking about Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway's annual
0: shareholder meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. No, Paul, you say Berkshire the way that they do in Omaha, but that is not how Warren Buffett says it. I think <laughs> in the first segment, though, I was saying. Berkshire. No, you said Berkshire. Was I a saying couple times times a couple too? Times? Yeah, yeah. I well, noticed. well,
1: Eric Holm, who covered the company for many years, why don't you help us out? Uh, Berkshire. I know- Berkshire, Berkshire, just Berkshire.
0: Berkshire. It's a company in Massachusetts. It's not like um, I don't know. There's there are Berkshires. There's yeah, there aren't. Well, you're from Massachusetts. Yeah. How do you say it? Berkshire. Berkshire. Okay. Yeah. Berkshire. Yeah, yeah. Berkshire. Okay.
3: So, not uh, a question. No. Yeah. yeah, we've, yeah but but, but the, got, the funny yeah. thing is
0: that uh, all around Omaha, people say Berkshire. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's Paul's the same thing as uh, like it's really like, it's like, mispronouncing.
3: It, it's it's right. sort of like Worcester. 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 Get my yeah. Boston accent going there. Yeah, but um, I think uh,
0: it's funny that people in Omaha say it wrong because the origin of of Berkshire, the textile company, is is and and Buffett says it. Berkshire anyway, Berkshire. Whatever. Sorry. Anyhow,
1: good thing we could uh you know take care of that while we were off the air. Thanks, <laughs> calling for that. So that we can get right to our Berkshire reporter, Nicole Friedman, who is in Omaha, Nebraska for the meeting. Uh Nicole, we hope you still have you on the phone. Are you still there?
2: I am still here,
1: yeah were you were you uh you know did you find that that conversation as interesting as I'm sure all our
3: other <laughs> listeners did thank you, yeah, at home. you
2: know, I thought the three of you were handling it just fine,
3: you did okay, thank you, thank I you. I love how Paul's getting all like offended about this when he like will bring up random things like my Brazilian steak uh <laughs> you know house lunch, oh, you just don't
1: like that you told us you were gonna buy us lunch and you haven't done it yet. <laughs> Now that you now that you bring it up, I'll remind people, uh, Nicole. Listen, let's let's talk about one thing that is on the minds of Berkshire shareholders every single year, and that is the succession plan.
2: Absolutely, it's the number one question, and probably a question that we will not get any answers to this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, the who, the big question of who will take over when Warren Buffett either steps down or passes away. He's been the CEO and chairman and chief investment officer of this company for 52 years. He's one of the longest serving U.S. CEOs of a major company. And he says that he and the board have chosen people or somebody that could take over as CEO if needed, but they have not released that name publicly. And so there's a big parlor game among Berkshire followers about who that might be and whether it changes from year to year. And inevitably, somebody will ask about it on Saturday, but they're unlikely to say anything new.
0: And whatever they do say, though, will be parsed by um, people um, who follow the company to try to figure out if there's any new clues in there. I think the general... Conventional wisdom, which is not based on any inside knowledge, but it, sort of the, the what people have arrived on as a consensus, is that Ajit Jain, who runs a lot of Berkshire's insurance operations, um, would be the person if a new CEO was needed now. Uh, but he also is not a spring chicken. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. And his name has been in the forefront for a long time. But, um, you know, if, if you know, Buffett hangs on for 10 more years, it could be a, a different person. So, Nicole, what, what other names are out there?
2: Yeah, another name that comes up a lot is Greg Abel, who runs Berkshire Hathaway Energy, which is their various utilities businesses. And he's a little bit younger than Ajit, and so there's some thinking, depending on when it might be, that Abel might take over. And he also has some more experience with mergers and acquisitions from the deal-making activity. Another name that comes up is Matthew Rose, who is chairman of BNSF Railway, which is the railroad that Berkshire owns. Um, But there's always a question about, you know, could it be, they said it's somebody internal, but there's always a question about could it be somebody else who's not maybe a little more under the radar? There are his two chief investment officers, Ted Weschler and Todd Combs. They've each, each taken on a little bit more responsibility in recent years. So while it's not widely expected to be one of them. There's always some murmurs that something could change or the way that responsibilities are distributed could change.
3: Well, I guess that's the the last part of that is, is sort of interesting. Could they could the sort of structure of Berkshire be somewhat changed where you have one of the sort of more corporate CEOs take over the portfolio of helping manage the companies and the investment portfolio goes to, uh, you know, his two the co-investment officers?
2: Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of expected to be the plan is that Buffett's various jobs would be divided. So the same person would probably not manage the stock portfolio as would manage the business operations. And on the the board side, Buffett is chairman and his son, Howard Buffett, is set to take over as non-executive chairman after Buffett leaves, which would be kind of a A role they say to preserve the culture of Berkshire. So, meaning he's the head of the
0: board, but not the CEO, just to clarify exactly our our listeners.
3: What about Wells Fargo? It it hasn't been embroiled for what now almost 10 months, eight months in you know, in in a scandal regarding you know, the the creation of fake accounts um, for its customers. Uh, Warren Buffett, Berkshire is one of its biggest. You know, investors. What can we expect him to say? And what has he said so far?
2: Yeah, Berkshire is Wells Fargo's biggest investor. It owns almost ten percent of the bank. And Warren Buffett also personally owns some Wells Fargo shares, and they've owned Wells for a long time. And so, when Wells kind of started to these signs of scandal started to emerge, people were looking to Buffett to see what he would say about it. And he was very, very quiet for a long time. And then in November. He finally, after the Wells CEO had stepped down and a new CEO had been named, Buffett finally spoke publicly and he said that he thought the sales scandal was a mistake and it had been created by a bad incentive system, but that he thought the new CEO was the right person for the job. And so it was kind of a, a sign that he was not going to sell his Wells stake and that he was still had confidence in the company. And then since then, there's been a pretty contentious shareholder meeting at Wells where some of the directors were reelected with surprisingly low percentages of support. um, But Berkshire did vote in support of the entire slate of directors. And so that's another sign that Warren Buffett is standing behind Wells and probably, if asked, would say something to that effect.
1: You know, so obviously there's a lot of uh, celebrating, some partying. It's a big, you know, big to do. But this is also a shareholder meeting and shareholders are going to be asked to vote on resolutions. And one of them, which you have a separate story, it's already online, uh, Nicole, is about this resolution that the company should be disclosing political donations.
2: Yeah, it's um, kind of interesting. It probably won't pass because. Almost certainly won't pass. It will not pass. (laughs) Um, It's good of you to hedge, Nicole,
0: but I will go out on that limb and say (laughs) it will be voted down by a massive margin. But go ahead.
2: I think that is very likely. I don't think any shareholder resolution at at Berkshire has ever passed because firstly, Warren Buffett controls almost 33 percent of the voting shares, but also um, the whole kind of thesis for why many people buy Berkshire is that they trust Warren Buffett and they want to put their money with him. And so people are quite reluctant to vote against him because they do think that he has the company's best interests at heart. Um, There is a resolution asking Berkshire to disclose more about its political contributions and how donations are made and how lobbyists are paid for at the parent level, but also at each of the subsidiary companies. And this is a pretty common topic for shareholder resolutions, and the two big shareholder advisory firms, ISS and Glass-Lewis, are recommending that shareholders vote yes on this resolution, but the board is recommending that shareholders vote no because they say this would be a, a burden for them to compile all of this information to make these reports, and they say that political contributions make up you know, a tenth, less than a tenth of 1% of Berkshire's expenditures. And so it's a lot of work for very little money. And the parent company, they say, doesn't make any political contributions. And so all the contributions are at the subsidiary level. And
0: certainly Warren Buffett himself is, a, uh, as we discussed at the top, is a, is a Democrat, but he doesn't give any money to specific uh, causes in that vein. It's more of a Right, Nicole. It's it's more of a some subsidiaries lobby on behalf of causes to change. Right. For
2: example, like the railroad lobbies for various you know regulations that would mm-hmm. affect it, or the energy companies lobby. But Berkshire's parent company doesn't lobby for any policies. And all of Warren Buffett's donations are his personal money. And he says you know that he has never asked anyone at Berkshire to donate money, and nobody on the board has ever done so. And so the two, you know, kind of his personal politics and Berkshire are completely separate. And so we'll see at the meeting on Saturday whether shareholders agree with that. The actual voting on the resolution comes at the very, very, very end of the meeting after some people will have already gone home because it's a pretty long day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And honestly, most of the votes have already been cast. This yeah. is the case with most. Right. Know, meetings. Yeah.
2: Well, who,
3: how did this become um, a resolution? How did it get on there? Do we know who the shareholder was?
2: Yeah, it was proposed by Clean Yield Asset Management, which is a asset management firm that focuses on what's um, called kind of socially responsible investing or environmental social governance investing, which means that they try to invest their clients' money with taking into account, you know, kind of how socially responsible various companies are. And they have sponsored these types of resolutions at other companies in the past. And this time it's being sponsored on behalf of two of their clients who own Berkshire shares. But I think the actual kind of paperwork and logistics were done by this asset management company that has some experience with this. And I think they'll, they are the ones who will be speaking on Saturday on behalf of the resolution.
3: Okay. Grocer, one more question. Yeah, this isn't really a question. This is a request. Uh, Can you pick up some, some C's candy? Especially like the <laughs> lollipops. I'm a huge fan. I don't fan. think I'd be
2: let, let back into the New York office without a box of C's.
3: Prita used to get me a separate box that she would, you know.
2: Oh, really?
3: She'd dole out one at a time because she was worried I'd eat too many in one sitting. <laughs> well,
2: we should also put in a plug. And I'll Nicole, and and I I, do.
0: Nicole and I and Grocer will be working all Saturday. Check the WSJ website. It'll be, we'll be, we'll be, be sure. live blogging. We'll be live blogging. Yes, you can watch the webcast, not on our website, elsewhere on the web, but... But you, 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 we will be giving live analysis.
3: And the other thing too is between Nicole and Eric. You know, you can watch it on Yahoo, but the live blog will provide some real, like, sort of analysis that you can't get anywhere else uh, about what they're saying.
1: All right, Nicole, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do, take a little time to enjoy yourself, and then get back to work. Everyone else, good. Yeah. everyone else, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.